So during this, I will be flipping the page because my dad took all of the technology with him. <laughs> How convenient. So, here goes nothing. Hello, it's me again. So, for those of you who don't know, the youth put on a service like this last year as well. And uh, I spoke then on baptism, as there were two other youth who were baptized. So, two in a row for baptisms. So, apparently, I didn't do that bad. So, I'll give it another shot. Uh, I just want to say right now, thank you for all of the prayer that I know I'm sort of getting. Thank you. That's really helpful. This time around, I'll be continuing my dad's series on Colossians, which worked out great because the text that this week lands on is very relevant to the teenage demographic. So you may have heard the text is Colossians 3, 1 to 11, uh, and you can turn there to be ready when we read it together. So just starting off, I believe that these verses are talking about your identity. Now, for a teenager like myself, this is a very big issue. At this, at this age, teens are told by teachers to figure out what your profession is going to be, what school you will go to, what you'll major in, and our peers tell us to be cool by smoking this, drinking that, and having sex. There are a lot of pressures trying to form our identity. One of the strongest pressures on our identity can come from family, being a youngest child, an oldest child, an only child, or trying to live up to the expectations of a family name or career. We may identify culturally black, white, Asian, or I drink maple syrup. Some people let their body become their identity. The media is the biggest pressure on body, bodily image and identity. There's the beauty queen, the sports jock, fat, skinny, short, tall. Magazines and movies push identity on us 24 hours a day. So these pressures are often strongest on teenagers, but... Even as adults, I don't think anyone really leaves the pressure of identity behind. The labels of our identity just shift a little. So you've got rich, poor. You've got blue collar, white collar, hipster, redneck. Maybe single, married, divorced, or maybe the big ones, addict, criminal, unemployed. The world tries to hang any number of identities on us all. So a bit about myself, I used to hang around in the smoker's pit at break when I first came here two years ago, and I made a bunch of friends there. Most of you have probably seen the way I usually dress. This is the only collared shirt I own, five years running. <laughs> so you know that I go for comfort over style, which usually makes me look like I just rolled out of bed, which may or may not be true, and walked out the door, which definitely is true. Pair that with who my friends are and the places I frequent, and you would not be surprised if people thought that I was a substance abuser with negligent parents and experience with the justice system. <laughs> and yet here I stand as the son of a pastor who is conveniently gone, giving a sermon with all of my smoker pit friends agreeing that there's something different about that kid. We've all done this at some point or another, whether we mean to or not. We put people in categories, and before even meeting them, we already have a list of possible faults or successes. I'll give you an example. Perhaps there is a ratty-looking man sitting on the side of the road. He sits in the same spot every day, and many people see him. He's friendly and wants to help people in any way he can. However, people take one look at him and immediately judge him as a homeless drunk. This affects the way that people treat him and the value they put on his advice. The world wants to define his identity. This leads to the ratty man feeling that nobody really cares about him, which can lead to isolation and depression, which eventually leads him to the same drugs and alcohol that everyone wrongly judged him for in the first place. 
Now, it's fairly common, and everyone knows that we put titles on others. But I want to touch on the ones that we put on ourselves. At school, I knew a girl who could not leave her locker without first pulling out a mirror and touching up her makeup until she looked like she was made out of plastic. One day she was late for school. Uh, everyone was in class and I was on spare. We were alone in the hall. Uh, she walked in and she looked like her backpack weighed 20 pounds heavier than she could hold. So I asked a few questions and asked if she wanted to talk about it. And she said yes. We went to the library and uh, she started telling me about all the troubles that she was going through. I remember that in one continuous run-on sentence, she told me about foster homes, abusive father, negligent uh, mother, addiction, siblings that she never knew, and friends that didn't care enough to help her in the way she needed. But the last thing in her long list, the last straw that pushed her over the edge, was that she hated herself. She told me that she knew she wasn't pretty enough. She told me that she would rather be any other human being other than herself. She knew that she wasn't good enough. No one had to tell her. She just knew from some source. The thing is that despite all of the other 20 things that made her life suck, it was the fact that she couldn't even look herself in the eye in the mirror because of the identity that she had accepted as true. That was what really pushed her to rock bottom. But what does the Bible have to say about where, I had, our, where our identity should come from? Let's look at our text. Starting at verse 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs in your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, for you, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile, no Jew, no circumcised, no uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So let's jump right in. In verse 1 it tells us Christians, they have a new identity, a new, a new life in Christ, which is good news. We're born into the world as sinners, far from God, with no interest in God, and the world puts a hundred pressures on our identity, trying to tell us who we should be, who we are. But God wants to give us a new identity. He has a plan for what we're going to be in heaven. And even if we're not there yet, but like even if we're not there yet, but until we get to heaven, we often don't look like we belong in heaven. Our outer identity doesn't match our true inner identity yet. We look spiritually far worse than any raggedy man. Paul tells us that the identity that we are born of is one of earthly things, such as sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. And that identity can cling to us like old clothes or a bad smell. He also says in verse 8 how it's time to get rid of these things that are holding us back from living the lives that God intended us to live. The media is filled to the brim with sexual immorality, encouraging the protagonist of TV shows with lust and greed. Maybe the protagonist uses foul language and slander to get his way in an argument. Maybe he uses rage, anger, and malicious behavior to fight his way to the top of a power chain or to become rich because he's worshipping the things of the world. We see this kind of story all the time. Paul writes that because of these things, the anger of God is coming. 
when God comes in all of his wrath and fury, we don't want to be carrying that old identity. We need a new one. The good one is, the good news is that as Christians, because of what Jesus did for us, God sees us as having a new identity. In verse 3, it says that our old identity has died. It's gone. It's buried six feet under. And we have a new identity in Jesus. In verse 9, it says, For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn how, as you learn to know your Creator and become Him. Uh, become like Him, sorry. Notice first of all that Paul says in verse 7, in verse 7, that the new you is already not the old you. You used to practice these things, and in verse 9, you have taken off the old self. He says that it's already done when we follow Jesus. Or Jess, it's already done. She's already new. The new identity is already yours and hers. And now, in our new identity, the more you act and think and behave the way that Jesus did, you will start to understand him better and become more like him. In verse 11, Paul gives a wake-up call to the church in Colossae. He writes, In this new life, it does not matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Basically, there is no priesthood. No one is holier than thou. No one is better. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Or perhaps more clearly for us, there is no university graduate, no beauty queen, no fat, no thin, no dropout, no rich, no poor. Those identities the world has tried to hang on you don't apply to Christians anymore. You're free of them. Now, perhaps the man in my story knows Jesus, and he has a Bible in his pocket, not the Bible people expect then the source of his identity is much different than what the world expects. He knows his true riches. Then he won't go to drugs because he won't feel down. He'll stand out from the crowd, and people begin to re begin to respect him because he won't be the norm. He will not conform to their ways. But another one, what if the girl who hated herself, what if she knew that she was beautifully and wonderfully made by a perfect God? How drastic would that change be? Paul is telling us that all are equal. There is no ranking system. There is no reason to look down with an air of superiority on another's lifestyle or look on with anyone envy at anyone else. We're all where we're supposed to be. We're all getting perfect. You're set from the labels like you're set free from the labels like fat or short or smart or dumb, beautiful, ugly, weak, strong. You're no longer defined by what you look like or what you did or what you said five years ago or who your parents were or what color your skin is. This means that there must be a change in the way we act. If you're afraid of people putting you down because of your faith, remember that you have God building you up. If our identity is truly in Christ, then there's nothing anyone can say or do that will make us feel useless or unloved. Therefore, we can act boldly, knowing that it's God who shapes our identity, not the people around us or the places we go. God is where we draw strength, confidence, and worth from because he's shaping us for heaven and getting us ready for true perfection.